Hi, welcome back to The Heat Index, the podcast about libraries and weather. We have a special episode for you today. We're talking about the government shutdown. So we're talking to a meteorologist who's affected by the partial federal government shutdown. Next time, we'll be talking to a librarian who's affected. We recorded this on Monday, January 7th, which was the 17th day of the shutdown. And it's being released on Friday, January 11th, which is the 21st day of the shutdown. And today is actually the first paycheck that will be withheld from federal workers since the shutdown began. As of this recording, the federal shutdown is ongoing. All right, let's get to the episode. Hi, welcome back to the Heat Index, the podcast about libraries and weather. My name is Justin. I am an academic librarian. Hi, my name is Melody, and I'm an operational meteorologist. And we're here today to talk about the government shutdown. This was your idea. Melody, can you give us a little bit more info on what we wanted to talk about today? Yes. Well, today is day 17 of the shutdown. The federal government um, has been partially shut down um, for more than two weeks now. Um, This began before uh, the typical winter break holidays. So I don't think that it's been incredibly noticeable um, just because of the time of year in which we went into the shutdown. Of course, if you're working for the federal government, Um, or you're adversely impacted, um, you obviously know. Um, And of course, it's been all over the media, but I think most people haven't really felt it until this week, because this week is the week most people return from winter break and uh, normally resume their daily lives, uh, because a lot of people, of course, take vacation off um, during Christmas, um, New Year's, um, any other um, religious holidays during that time. Um, So I think this is really the week where Um, things are really coming to a head as far as impacting everyone's lives with the shutdown. And uh, I think a lot of us are used to hearing um, just kind of maybe some anecdotal stories about shutdown, but most people are far removed from anyone who's actually impacted. So um, I wanted to go ahead and give more of a perspective of how it's really impacting um, a lot of our Uh, public facilities and our public employees and just a lot of I wanted to give an example of how much the government really touches our day-to-day lives. Yeah that's what I was gonna say it's hard to get my mind around the federal government shutting down or doing a partial shutdown and this has happened before recently where it's been about um, budget arguments and uh, the debt ceiling and things like that and it is really important to recognize how much of our daily lives are impacted by it and the services that are provided by the federal government. So it'd be great to hear from those kinds of people uh, who are directly affected. And just because we think it would be great to hear from those people, we have a surprise guest on our podcast today. Um, I'm going to introduce Crezia. Crezia is a meteorologist who has worked for the National Weather Service for um, several years now. Um, I want to say between five and ten years. She can correct me (laughs) if it's wrong. But um, Crezia has been adversely impacted by the federal shutdown, not just because of uh, the fact that she's not getting a paycheck and working the entire shutdown, um, but also because she was supposed to attend um, the AMS conference, which is a meteorological conference that occurs every year. Um, you you have to get your presentations approved and accepted. Um, it's a lot. There's a lot of hoops to jump through um, to be able to present at an AMS conference. And unfortunately, because of the shutdown, 
Um, but NOAA has decided not to let anyone from the National Weather Service attend uh, this critical conference. Um, so I wanted to give Crezia a platform to talk about the important work that she's done because um, she's worked very, very hard over the past couple years um, working on this. So uh, with no further ado, Crezia. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for uh, so, giving me a time to talk about this. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, Crazy, just some background. Crazy and I um, knew each other actually going to college a long time ago, but um, we actually were uh, co-workers working in the same office in Key West a few, or actually, I want to say a few years ago, but um, it's actually much more recent than that. But um, we're not directly working together anymore as far as being in the same office anymore, but um I firsthand seen Crazy's impact um, in the National Weather Service. So, Crazy, yeah, tell us about your experience. Tell us about, uh, first of all, how it's been. I know being told that you can't go to this conference, and then I guess we can just cover uh, what you were supposed to present. Yeah. So, um, just to uh, be safe and not get in trouble, uh, yes. I'll be making most of these remarks as a representative of the union uh, of the National Weather Service. Um, because shutdowns are very tricky. Um, there are a lot of rules that apply when there is no funding for an agency. And it's very complicated. It changes from shutdown to shutdown. So there's a lot of questions and not a lot of answers or the answers come too late. Um, yeah, so one of the effects that the shutdown has impacted me was like Melody said, I was scheduled to go to a conference, which is the main conference in the meteorological world, uh, where people from around the world gather together once a year and they present their research, their projects, their ideas. There's always a discussion at the end of every presentation. And after each uh, section, you, you get to talk to other people that, you know, they're probably doing the same thing in your area or you have an interest. In a new area, you have a way to help somebody in a project. So it's it's a it's a very it's very interactive. It's a lot of talking and networking and interacting. So not having that opportunity, it really puts me in a slow. Uh, it slows me down in my projects. I was gonna present about a topic where most of my presentation was gonna be recommendations and um, you know bringing new ideas. So people from a higher level could see, you know, and trying to convince people things that I think will be good for the agency. So not having this platform in order to talk one-on-one, -on -one, you know, I can still pick up the phone and call them, but it's not the same because you, you need that face-to-face -face interaction. Um, right. To really get yeah. things going and to really express your ideas and getting that person to really see your emotions and and you get that 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 person's attention just from you, so it's it it's really to it's hard to compensate not having that one on one uh, interaction with the people that really need to hear your your ideas. Yeah, we really need as people we need that nonverbal communication to truly grasp a concept. Um, just being able to look at someone when they talk, um, being able to, I mean, just you gather so much um, information. I think like 70 or 80 percent of communication is just nonverbal. So um, you're missing a big piece of um, understanding something uh, when you're not there physically. 
Yeah, I agree. So we, we have uh, library conferences all the time, and sometimes there are fully online conferences, sometimes about technology and other topics, and it's just not anywhere near the same experience. There's still a reason uh, that conferences go on, even though we have the ability to broadcast conferences online. Um, there is some kind of magic about being in the same room with somebody. Uh, you do have some expectation of attention. You do get um, more responses from people. I feel like it's a really good mechanism for exchanging ideas. And I feel like, especially with weather, uh, it could impact policies. You know, if you have projects you're working on, I'm sure, it, it, like you said, you're talking to uh, administrators, other people who could affect, you know, the real lives of forecasters everywhere and, and people everywhere, right? Yeah, and and you know it, like you said, you know there are different topics that you uh, you can present, record it, and you know put it as a video because it's more about information that you're sharing. But for my case, my presentation was going to be more getting the feedback from people and see what can we do together to get you know this idea and this mission or improve services and and work together instead of me just doing uh this is what i've done and that's it you know like mm -hmm. i needed that interaction i needed to have that afterward meeting with people it's like all right let's get together how can we do this and there's people that are headquarters that i have seen their emails and i have interacted with them but haven't been able to to meet one-on-one -on -one. and i think you know a lot of this networking is really beneficial and a lot of people have criticized that the fact that oh a conference has been canceled I have been there as a student. This would have been my first time as an employee of a federal agency. And I know that it really makes a difference between having a phone call or meeting in person. It really moved forward. Ideas are grown from a casual conversation over coffee during a break. And it, it's really beneficial for everybody. Um, even if you were sitting at home, you don't see that. But it really is. And I, I bet a lot of the conferences that are being held around the country are the same way. You know, a lot of ideas, partnerships are established because of this conferences. So it, it, it was it's really uh, a loss for the agency yeah. and as a whole, as a country, that this conference was we were not allowed to, to go. And because, like I said at the beginning, because the rules I'm not even allowed to present online. I cannot log in on my personal computer and, you know, use technology and present to the people that are present there. I, I, can, I can't do that because I yeah, would be so. representing the agency, but the agency doesn't have funding. So that's not allowed. So it's a very weird rule, but yeah. it's what it is. I w yeah, I was interested to, to hear more about um, the actual details of the... Uh, the shutdown for you. So you're saying you can't represent uh, your agency at a conference. What What are some of the other basics that, that you're being told in your job role right now? So right now, the reason I'm being, I'm still at work is because I'm considered essential. So my mission in my office, in the office that I work at, is to save life and property. And you're getting involved directly saving lives. So we are considered essential. So even though there's no money to pay us, we're kind of required to continue to go to work, which is a little hard to, to grasp because I'm 
kind of required to go, but I'm not being paid. So, you know, as a human, like, oh, I still need to pay bills. Right. How is it that I'm supposed to go to work if you're not going to pay me for my service? You know, we're in the promise or hope that when we return from the shutdown, we'll be paid for the hours that we have done. But, you know, it's, it's, it plays with your mind. It, it's tr- it plays tricks. Like, you know, we, we always hear this phrase, oh, we're working without pay. So because of these rules during a shutdown, we are only focusing our mission, which is saving life and properties. On a regular day, I would have done my regular forecast. I would have issued uh, decision support services for emergency managers, or I would have been having a meeting with emergency managers or having an office tour or going out to a school to present about weather um, and talking to kids or college students. So some of the, those don't really have a direct effect on saving lives at the moment. So office tour, office meetings, if not related to actual weather, they're canceled. I, I cannot have that because it's just direct operations to save life and property. So even training, we're not even allowed to do, even though training can help me to save life or property. Wow. So it's, very, it's a very tricky, it's, it's, a, it's a gray area where, you know, there's a rule written somewhere and then interpretation or to that rule, to our case, it's very uh, tricky and it's, uh, it puts a lot of limitations on the things that we can do. Uh, Crazy, are, are you not allowed to do like comment modules or... Um you know, any modules like that on shift? Now? You know, it seems like that, that interpretation has, it's different between uh, different uh, okay. offices. So like some regions in our agency said, yes, some others said no. Oh, um, I see. So it's very tricky to, to answer that because there's not a clear answer for it. And what is that? Yes. I was going to come in. Um, common module. It's, uh, that's, it's like a, lo- a large online interface of, uh, there's just a lot of uh, meteorological training modules on there. And um, you can actually take them um, not being part of a, a federal employee or the federal government. Um, you can take them as a student or anything. They're free and they're fully available online. Um, I think it's like MetED. Um, I, I can't remember exactly. Yeah, Google, that like, comment, MetED, yeah. you would find it. Um, but it's, it's kind of like a common, um, resume builder and a benchmark for your training as a meteorologist. So, um, I mean, even if I remember taking them 10 years ago and I still have some of the ones I took on my resume just because, you know, I crossed some of them off. It's just, uh, pretty much everyone who's a meteorologist takes them. So I was just curious if, uh, even those were banned. So it seems like maybe, maybe not depending on where you work. Yeah, I mean, as long as it doesn't interrupt your operations, that it seems like you can take a few, but it's different. And, mm-hmm. you know, every day we are getting new guidance from headquarters or uh, workforce management, you know, human resources of the things that we can do and can't do. Um, so, like yeah. I said, it's, it seems it's very, very difficult to really have a clear explanation of why we're doing this and what we can and can't do.
Um, would you be able to tell us about what you are going to present? Yeah, I would love to. So um, my first language is Spanish. So when I joined the weather service, I started in the San Juan office. Um, and so translations were a normal routine for, for us as, in the San Juan office because we were serving Puerto Rico. Eventually, I joined a team of other meteorologists that were interested in uh, doing translations for other offices across the U.S. So that team has evolved with years, and now we have been able to provide a lot of support for many offices in the National Weather Service, at headquarters, uh, the Weather Ready Nation Initiative. We have even translated work for NASA. Um, we were, when they were launching the new GOES satellites. So it's just a bunch of meteorologists that are bilingual and they have volunteered to do translations. So, because uh, right now as an agency, we don't have an official setup for translations or to provide Spanish services. Everything is now by somebody that knows Spanish in this office and that person can help you out. So some of the things I was going to present were the things that I've did in the last two years during the stream events, you know, hurricanes and flooding that occur in the 2017-2018 year, was going to show like, yeah, I did a lot, but my main job is not being a translator or it's being a Spanish uh, spokesperson or a Spanish representative. I'm a regular operational forecaster that on the side, if I have the time, then I do these translations. Other agencies like FEMA, they have an office dedicated for Spanish services. Every press release they issue, it comes out already in Spanish. And anybody that has an interest in doing an interview or getting something in Spanish, they have somebody to go to. There's an office with people that are bilingual that are available for that. And we don't have that in the weather service. And there's a lack of that. And it's, there's a need for having that go-to person that will be a go-to at all times, or at least an office or a group that you can go to. Right now, all we have is, well, it's called the Miami office because we know there's people that speak Spanish, even though the event is in North Carolina or is mm -hmm. in Texas. Um, and there's always people like requesting who speaks Spanish at your office. And then even if that person is not on, on shift, then there's nobody in the office. So then there's no continuity in the service. Right, because everyone's on shift work again. Yeah. So it's kind of luck as to whether someone happens to be working that speaks Spanish or not. National Weather Service, unfortunately, just doesn't have it organized enough to um, have, you know, a designated Spanish speaker like you were saying earlier, Crisia. So I, I remember like the one of the stories that really struck me when I saw your presentation a while ago was... Um, when you saw Hurricane Harvey happening over in Texas, I mean, th that was a really critical flooding event um, after the actual landfall. Um, and Houston, I mean, that's a large Spanish-speaking um, population, isn't that right? Yeah. I mean, I remember you saw a graphic um, issued by the National Weather Service, and it was in English, and they weren't issuing it in Spanish. Uh, I mean, and these were these graphics that they were issuing, they were like critical, like life-saving graphics, like how to survive, you know, massive flooding in your house while there's ongoing tornado warnings around you. Something, I mean, incredibly critical, life-saving stuff. And Crisia just kind of got it organized and made it so that all of a sudden they started putting out the Spanish version of these, this critical life-saving information um, during that hurricane operation. 
Um, is that right, Crisia, or am I? Um... Yeah, that's correct. Um, okay. Yeah, I saw, I saw that, you know, I saw that there was that important graphic, and you're talking about Houston, Texas, where most of the people that live there are Spanish speakers. Sometimes, you know, the mi- they're minorities, so they don't have access to all the information that we have in English. Um, so it's important that we fill that gap. And a lot of the service assessments of tornadoes and hurricanes, there's most, most of them in the recent years, there's always been a problem with a group of people that didn't know English and then they were not understanding the warnings and the preparedness or action items in the warning and they were not able to take action in a correct way. So people have lost their lives because they, they don't understand the warning information. So that's why we need to fill this gap. And, and, and I feel as an agency, we need to take action on it instead of being a reactive to a situation. We need to have all this information already translated. We need to have somebody that people can reach at any time. They know that they will answer their questions in Spanish. So that's very important. And that was going to be my my work on, on this conference. Wow, that's really, it's just really surprising to hear that, those kind of vital services that we need in uh, Spanish language. And it reminded me when I worked in a, a public library system in one county, we had one branch where everybody who worked there spoke Spanish. And it was just sort of the prerogative that we needed in that area because it was a mostly Spanish-speaking area of our county. And so everyone who worked there basically need needed to know it or picked up enough to get by because libraries tend to help a lot with uh, people filling out government forms and trying to access all that kind of information. And so it, it is really necessary in some places to have bilingual people who are available for translating, for talking. Um, there are a lot of language classes too, but but it's just for that kind of you know life and disaster kind of situation, it's just really surprising that um, there's still not a formal way to, to do that nationwide. Yeah, so I'm, yeah, I'm working with that. Yeah. And she would have been able to push this agenda even farther if uh, we weren't in the midst of a federal shutdown. Yeah, definitely. I, and I already had a couple unofficial meetings um, during the conference because of people that I knew we're going and I've been meaning to, you know, meet in person and, and establish connections and, and talk. And and they even had, they were going to have uh, like a workshop slash forum with local communities in the Phoenix area where the conference was going to be in Phoenix. They have a lot of Spanish speakers. So I was really looking forward to join this workshop where I could interact with people that are affected by weather and they had their opinions about our services as an agency and how and what we can do to improve. And, you know, I was not able to, to be there. And actually the workshop had to be canceled because the people that were leading this workshop were people from the National Weather Service. So it, they, they, they didn't have anybody there to, to run it. So it was actually canceled. So that interaction in communities with the communities was even lost as well. So not just us as a scientist, people in the community didn't have the chance to express directly to us what we can do to improve our services. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely just 
a shame. It's a shame. I think um, what you're doing is great, Crazy. And I think I, I know for a fact that you've won awards about this. You, you've won um, a national Isaac Klein award. Isn't that right? Yes. Yeah. So that's a, it's one of the um, most prestigious award in the agency for the work that you can do as a forecaster and meteorologist. And I was able to get that award for the work that I've done in the outreach area with my uh, Spanish outreach team. So, you know, it, it, it gives you a validation. Okay, you're going the right path. So, you know, that was a nice uh, reward for the work that I have done. So that was very nice for the agency. Let's talk a little bit about the Isaac Klein Award. Isaac Klein Award was based off of a real person named Isaac Klein. He was a chief meteorologist at the Weather Bureau in Galveston, Texas from 1889 to 1901. That is 12 years of being the chief there. And he was the chief there during September 8th, 1900. And this is somewhat of a uh, important date because that is the date that the infamous Galveston hurricane made landfall in uh, 1900. It did kill between 6,000 and 12,000 people. And this is recognized as one of the worst natural disasters in U.S. history. Another fact about it would be Cora Klein, Isaac Klein's wife, um, actually perished in the storm and she was pregnant with their fourth child. Uh, he and his three kids did manage to survive though. But what makes him important to the meteorological community is that he actually took it upon himself to breach Weather Bureau protocol by making a unilateral decision to issue a hurricane warning without securing the authorization to do so from Washington, D.C. Back then, they wanted their stamp of approval on any kind of warning like that. He went ahead and issued it because he didn't think there was enough time. It's estimated that his decision ended up saving thousands of people, and legend also has it that he traveled along the beach to warn people of the storm ahead of time. He is one of the most recognized employees in Weather Service history because of this. And an Isaac Klein Award, um, it does state that Isaac's acute understanding of weather conditions and his heroic forecasts and hurricane warnings saved several thousand lives that day. There are three forms of an Isaac Klein Award. It comes in a local, regional, or national. I personally have won one Isaac Klein Award, and that was for um, serving the Florida Keys during the catastrophic landfall of Hurricane Irma in 2017. Um, Crezia, however, has won multiple Isaac Klein Awards, and this one Isaac Klein Award that we're speaking about of her Spanish-speaking services was a national award. That is something that Crezia uh, should be extremely proud of. Um, so, Crezia, uh, I guess we'll continue with our shutdown talk. Um, have you and your husband, have you, I, your husband is in the Coast Guard, um, and I'm pretty sure the Coast Guard is not under the Department of Defense. Um, so, is he also not receiving um, any pay compensation during the shutdown? Yeah, so Coast Guard is part of the Department of Homeland Security, and they're, they're part of the shutdown. Um, okay. So right now they were able to get the check for the first of the year because it, it was already kind of like in progress. 
before the shutdown has started. Um, so right now, I think their next big check is the one that is in jeopardy of not going through like mine. So right now, right. We are, we're in limbo. We're both um, not sure if we're going to get it or not. Right. And that's um, normally supposed to come this week, I believe. Um, so this is a pretty critical week um, for many government workers, uh, you know, and it's even more critical for families like Crisia, where both income earners are part of the federal government that are adversely affected by this shutdown. Yeah. And, you know, the more you start hearing stories, you you don't feel bad about yourself. You feel bad about right. others because there's so many people that are in worse situations. Uh, I read the other day about somebody that just started to work in a federal agency and they haven't even get their first paycheck Yeah, because it, you know, it's just, uh, it's so many stories and uh, it's, it's, it's really frustrating because we just don't know, you know, you're, you're planning, you're starting like right now, everybody's in stress because of the unknown, you know, we already know like, okay, it's going to be delayed, but I don't know, maybe we'll get it a week later or, you know, but uh, it's all a matter of what happens in, in Congress, you know, what happens in, in politics. And, you know, it's, it's a very unknown area. We don't know when will that check arrive. It's, mm-hmm. You kind of have to plan on something that you don't even have a timeline. You know, mm-hmm. what I'm planning for, I'm planning for a one paycheck miss or two, three. What, what's, you know, what's happening? What, we don't know. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really hard for a lot of people out there. Um, Justin, do you have any um, perspective on how the libraries are being impacted during this mm-hmm. shutdown? So uh, I do know that there are federal libraries and federal services that are available to pretty much all libraries. I don't have any personal experience with this, but I am looking forward to talking to someone from a federal library soon, uh, which will be in an upcoming episode. After some very light Googling, I did find a little bit of information um, via the University of California Berkeley Library. They actually have a page uh, on a research guide about the federal government shutdown. It says during a shutdown, many government websites and databases may go dark. And so okay. a lot of academic libraries provide um, research materials for their communities. And um, this is saying that a lot of those agencies that report out information um, may not be able to maintain their websites or update their databases and um information that should be publicly available. And um, it also has a little link on how to contact representatives uh, in Congress or the president and has a breakdown of how to contact and what to say and things like that, which I thought was nice. It's that sort of social aspect that goes in library work in terms of uh, how to advocate for social services, how to advocate for information access. Um, So it in probably not as much of a, a life situation uh, or a disaster situation as the weather service, but um, it would it will impact everyone working in those federal facilities. Um, I actually even saw when the presidency switched over, there were appointments for research librarians for the White House. I mean, there are actual, um, you know, there's the Library of Congress, there's the National Archives. Um, there's some major institutions that provide a whole bunch of information 
for all kinds of services in America. And that will basically stop until they're allowed to continue reporting out and providing those services. Um, so in the short term, I would say it's it's not as vital an impact, but it still will impact a lot of people, especially people researching in those areas, which are um, social work students and professors and all kinds of humanities professors um, and social scientists who use that data in their projects. Um, a lot of people rely on those data sets uh, for their ongoing research, and that's definitely going to impact their work. I see. Yeah. I actually, um, you reminded me of something. Um, one of my other co-workers um, actually informed me tonight that a few of his normal meteorological models that he uses in his analysis just aren't showing up. And he thinks that it may be due to the shutdown. He's not completely sure, but he uses a lot of one particular model called the GLURL, um, G-L-E-R-L, um, which does a lot for freezing spray calculations. This, of course, doesn't matter too much, you know, if you're in the southeast or so, but um, up in the Great Lakes region, while you have an incoming or a uh, current currently moving across a snowstorm, it, it's pretty important. Um, a lot of these models, the HER, uh, the um, experimental version of the HER, H-R-R-R, <laughs> every meteorological, every meteorologist calls it something else. That model is also not currently running that he thinks may be due to the shutdown. A few other models also are not running due to the shutdown. Um, we have a lot of experimental models that aren't technically deemed as operational. Um, it's kind of the first step before they become op operational, they're just experimental while the scientists are tweaking the equations behind the model. And because of that, some of our normal models that we like to use to check ourselves are not running at this time. So you could argue that that's hurting possibly our forecast or, um, you know, some of our science as we continue through the shutdown. Yeah, that's definitely true, um, especially when you're, you know, some of these models might fail or what we call in technology, they get a bug. There's not enough staff working to fix those. And if they are still considered experimental, they're not operational, they don't have a priority to be fixed. And if they're not, you know, operational needed, then they won't get fixed until shutdown ends or they, you know, get feedback that, yeah, they're needed, even though they could still is an experimental phase. So some of this stuff, as soon as they fail, they will continue down until we return to normal operations and then somebody can come in and, and look at it and fix it. So things will start pretty much going downhill and will continue until we return to normal operations because as, if something breaks is not considered essential, it will not get fixed. Yeah, eventually everything breaks and no one's there to fix it. <laughs> so hopefully not everything breaks. But yeah, I mean, as with, you know, anything in technology, um, it needs constant upkeep, right? So, um, you know, the more we continue in the shutdown, uh, the more we struggle. Um, Crazia, can you tell me, I've, when I was in with the National Weather Service, um, I went through two shutdowns. One was pretty long and it was right after I started 
um, as an intern, technically, even though I was, you know, intern's just a title you give the entry-level meteorologist. Um, It's not actually an internship. Um, But that one was pretty long. It was maybe two and a half weeks. Uh, There was another one that was maybe two or three days long. I was wondering if you could tell us if this one seems different from the other ones that you went through in the National Weather Service. It, yeah, it's, it's it's different because of the reason behind it. You know, there's so much politics involved in, in these shutdowns, and you're kind of sitting in your desk trying to make a forecast, but and at the same time trying to understand the, the politics behind it. One of the big differences that I've seen is that because of the previous one, I, I recently checked, it was 17 days in 2013. That's how long it's been for this one. This is yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, so yeah, you said it at the beginning. So we're pretty much now at, even with that. It seems like with this one, we have learned lessons from the previous one. So we are more relaxed playing with by the rules because of our the previous experience and having such a long shutdown and, you know, the things that, okay, we're following the rules, but now this time we're following the rules but we're being a little flexible in the rules. So uh-huh. it's been a little bit more relaxed in, um, on these rules of, you know, what can we do and can't. Um, and, you know, it, it also, it, you know, it went through the holidays. So it, so much time was lost uh-huh. because we were in such, you know, we weren't holidays, days off, new Congress coming in, they're still, you know, settling in their new jobs and getting their staff hired. So there's so many administrative things that has happened while we're still in a shutdown. Like, right, it is weird. The clock clock still ticking with, you know, we're another day into the shutdown and nothing has been done. While, Mm -hmm. you know, the previous one, it was all business, you know, 17 days of nonstop uh, negotiations and all that. So it makes me mm-hmm. think, like, you know, how long are we going to go on now that, you know, I think tomorrow is when they, the Congress come back in section, in session and they, they're going to, you know, return to, to talks and, you know, have official um, bills and, and all this, you know, with new people that have been, you know, coming in. So it's just been different. Like you have to, like, even if you don't like it, you have to follow politics just to understand what's going on you know just to get a feeling yeah. why are why am i not shut down you know what's going on and kind of get an idea okay senate comes back tomorrow and all this and even if you don't like it you have to get involved in politics right yeah that's that's a really strange reality when you have to watch the news in order to understand if you're going to be paid next week <laughs> i mean that's yeah. just weird so yeah as much weird. as you want to ignore it you can't you know you have to at least keep yourself updated with the headlines, you know, just to get on at something, something in like to, to have something to look forward, I guess, mm-hmm. if, even if the outcome is not what you want, but you know, it's, it's, it's the nature of working for a federal agency. So it's, it's around by politics. So that's a great point. Yeah. That's a great point. That's the nature of working as a federal employee. Yeah. I never really thought of it that way, but it's true. Yeah. I felt that as a, even as just a county government worker, because um, public libraries are county by county usually, um, that it was strange to, to see government meetings happening in libraries. I, I didn't realize that that happens as much as it does. Um, you know, town hall type things happening in libraries. 
and realizing that you are a representative of the county government. I mean, um, we had uh, county government IDs, we had security um, access uh, to, to county buildings. Um, we we're on county property, so there's special you know laws that apply to that and being a, a county worker. And I can only imagine extrapolating that up to the federal level and having to follow the national news, um, which I get sucked into so much. I've been trying to not follow it as closely, but I can see how, <laughs> you know, how, I can see how in this type of situation, you need to be on top of that to see uh, what's going to happen. And if there's anything that can be done from your end, from your agency's end, or from, you know, public outcry or something like that. Are there any things we can advocate for at the moment? Are there, can we go and write to our representatives and ask them specific points uh, about these types of things? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and, and it, even at a county level, if you have an issue, you, you, you address it with, you know, your representative. Um, so I think in any big situation like this, where so many people's lives are being put in such a stress, we need to reach out to to our representatives and senators to express our concern because at the end of the day, there there should be representing the majority of their population that they're representing, right? Like there should be our voice in in, in Congress. They should be listening to our concerns and understand our backgrounds and our specifics for our area to be able to make a decision based on the people that that the person represents that that's what politics should be all about um mm -hmm. so if they don't hear from us how they're gonna get an idea of how any issue affects their community that they're that they're representing right and it's it's strange to me too because having this talk one of the things that I, I think is a stereotype but one of the stereotypes that comes with government work is that it's supposed to be stable right um, that's one yes. of the things I've heard, you know, private sector, oh, you might, you know, make some more money, but you never know what's going to happen. You know, markets can go up and down and businesses close. But one of the cornerstones of at least the stereotype of working for the government is that it's supposed to be stable. You have benefits, you have retirement, uh, you can rely on the government to continue to exist. And in this case, we can see that at least part uh, in a partial shutdown Parts of the government are not existing and it's very scary. And the parts that are existing are coming from people who are sacrificing their time and energy to work for literally no pay at the moment with this strange, like, like you were talking about, that feeling of uncertainty. Like, what are you supposed to do with that mandate to, to continue working at your job without pay? It's just such a, a tricky and strange situation for me to think about right now. Yes, I right. can. it's just an environment of, the country that we live in you know it's it's like you said the difference between private well you are in the hands of a small board or a manager while in the federal government or even state government you pretty much are in the hands of what happens in politics because they're the ones assigning budgets or cutting budgets starting new rules new laws new offices taking putting in so we're that's where voting is so important so Oh, yes, definitely. go and vote, everyone. Everybody vote. <laughs> I mean, we just had an election. So, you know, I think no one wants any advertisements for an <laughs> right. election anytime yeah. soon. But it's so important to vote. And it's so important to get involved in your local politics because yes. local politics will impact you, generally speaking, more than federal politics will. Definitely. Um, just seeing, you know, how your library is funded. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to shift my focus away from national news and more to local news, uh, actually, in the new year, um, because I do think it has a very strong impact. And, you know, I'm in Georgia and we just saw a really contentious uh, state election for governor um, with Brian Kemp uh, ultimately winning. But it, it, in a very close and very contentious and very strange and, and very shady election, but these are the types of things we need to focus on because governorships are still very powerful and they can support or go against the, the president, as we've seen um, with the expansion of health care. You know, Republican governors totally against it and, and stopping at all costs any expansion of uh, Medicaid and stuff in their states. That those are important points to remember um, that it is a back and forth between local and federal government. And a lot of the stuff that goes on in local elections um, is very important to how you live your daily life in your city or area. And uh, library funding comes up a lot. Um, that should be a whole nother episode, I think, <laughs> on how yeah. that's impacted by elections and how it's impacted by budgets and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's definitely all very important. No, and also I know a lot of people, libraries use grants they you know they request grant for different projects enhancement to their uh, uh, local library or getting a new collection and you put a up a grant or you want to make a project all that is being stopped because there's no um uh, those uh, offices in the federal government are not working reviewing grants uh, um, granting scholarships or funding for special projects at local communities you know, there's people at the local, you know, even if you don't work for a federal agency, you might be affected because uh, research professors and universities that depend on the money that the federal government can give them to, you know, do projects with their students is not being processed right now. So a lot of people have missed deadlines or will miss deadlines or they don't even allow to go on the computer to review the grant so they can submit it before the deadline. So it's just a lot of, you know, every day that we continue on this, it just multiplies in the effect, negative effect that it has in our economy and our progress. I think the, one of the most frustrating parts about the, the shutdown for me is that it's it's just painful enough to be painful to be very painful to certain groups of people. Just you know, of course, federal workers and those um, needing the grants and this and that. Um, but it's it's also not far-reaching enough where it's completely obvious to the general public. Um, I think I heard it's like 25% of the government is furloughed, but 75% is accepted. Something along those lines. I'm not completely sure about the statistic, but you know, if if we truly did have a 100% government shutdown, people would be able to look around and truly understand how much we rely on our government. I mean, it. We wouldn't be able to fly anywhere for multiple reasons. Number one, we wouldn't have TSA. We wouldn't have the National Weather Service issuing 
the uh, the terminal aerodrome forecast so that the planes can leave the airport. We wouldn't be able to do so many things because of the shutdown. And there would be such a public outcry. Um, it kind of reminds me in a way that there's a parallel I want to bring up. I, I always hear, you know, we're, we're always kind of in a lot of wars um, in America. And we, we kind of don't even think that we're at war anymore because it's just so it, it's just constant. So we don't even think about it. But a long time ago, like in World War II, everyone was sacrificing at home because we were sending the troops overseas to the point where we were not eating the normal foods we were eating because we were sending the good food overseas to the soldiers. And in a way, I feel like that's kind of how the shutdown is where, I mean, that that would be... the the way the world world war two was would be similar to a full shutdown would be we would everyone would be sacrificing whereas with the partial shutdown it's not far reaching enough because we have so many people who are selfishly going to work and not being paid like crazy here where we're, we just the general public doesn't realize how important it is because it's not far reaching enough People aren't, you know, sacrificing their meals, you know, in a metaphorical way in the way that we were during World War II. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's just a sad reality of the situation. I mean, the federal government touches everything. And if the entire federal government shut down, um, there would be a lack of food inspection. I mean, we saw the romaine lettuce scare a couple of months right. ago. That was really scary. And to have that idea that the federal, if, if the entire federal government shut down, we we probably couldn't trust the food that we eat. That would just be insane. It would be an insane level of uh, fallout. Just a quick note on this. After we recorded this episode on Thursday, January 9th, the New York Times reported that the Food and Drug Administration has actually stopped routine food safety inspections of seafood, fruits, vegetables, and many other foods at high risk of contamination because of the federal government shutdown. And... Uh, unfortunately, the services that we're seeing now and the, and the people who are willingly going into work to save, literally save lives like you all are doing, um, it's not something that would have as a dramatic impact within 17 days as, you know, inspection of food or um, policing or other things like that. But it would have a lasting impact and a much bigger impact. The, the more it goes on, I think, the more people will start to realize what a vital impact it's having right now. I mean, we're seeing, uh, I'm seeing in the headlines, the TSA uh, call outs for um, calling out to be sick. Um, that's essentially a strike against going in without pay is causing right. massive delays at airports, um, major airports. And uh, even something like that, where people are saying, Hey, I can't really work without pay. Um, in a big way is showing people the importance of this. And I think as every day that passes, people are going to see a bigger impact on how the nation works. I really, I really hope so. The TSA um, example you brought up is the strongest example I've seen um, so far. Unfortunately, I just saw a headline um, that said that the government was going to be issuing um, tax refunds throughout the shutdown. Shutdown, And that was one of the things I was kind of relying on getting us um, to finally end the shutdown. People would eventually be like, hey, why am I not getting my tax return? 
oh, because we're in the shutdown. Oh, you know, I better call my congressman. I was hoping, you know, that would be another pushing point to, you know, get people to rise up and end this thing, you know. But unfortunately, it's another exception where they're like, oh, no, we'll partially open this for you and partially open that. And that's painful. I mean, we're playing favorites here with the government. That's not okay. I don't think it's okay. Yeah, I think we've been dancing around this and I feel okay saying it. it. It's all a massive political stunt. And to open up certain things like that in such a way where they're saying, well, people are going to get really mad if we can't process their tax returns. We'll give them that. It's just such a, a political piecemeal to, to try and shut down the government over this one issue of a border wall, which is what it is. Um, right is such a big political stunt. And even worse is the idea creeping around now that there could be a declaration of a state of emergency, a national emergency, to mm-hmm. get it done, to build a wall. That is a direct uh, dictatorial thing to do, to, to bypass um, the way we present bills and present funding from the government to national projects and to just say, well, we can't do it the traditional way. So as president, I'm just in the good to declare an emergency to get it done is not the way things are working. I mean, every president oversteps their bounds a little bit and does things out of line traditionally in, in terms of what people think the president should do. But mm-hmm. to, I think this is another level. This is in the context of what this president has been doing throughout um, the years of presidency. It, it is a very, very big overreach. And it, it's it's making thousands of people suffer, hundreds of thousands of people suffering. The number I keep saying is 800,000 people directly impacted in the federal government um, in mm-hmm. terms of um, pay loss or furloughs. Uh, right. And those those are just the actual people showing up to work or not showing up to work, you know. Uh, not all the knock-on effects from well, how their work impacts others or their families or other things like that. It's It's just an insane number of people suffering because of a political stunt, basically. Right. I do want to bring up um, how it's impacting my work a little bit. It's not quite a direct impact in the way that it's affecting uh, the National Weather Service, TSA, a lot of the rest of the federal government. I technically work for the Department of Defense. And because of that, uh, they, they passed their budget a while ago, um, and it's good till September. So because the Department of Defense um, passed their budget, I am being paid and I'm the shutdown doesn't really directly affect me. I'm going to work the same times I normally am, but it is impacting my work in a specific way. Um, I am a liaison to NASA and NASA is kind of, I don't have clients, but NASA's kind of my client. I'm kind of their their weather liaison to their rocket launches. And today was the day I was supposed to begin briefing NASA in the morning again um, because uh, we were off for the holidays. You know, a lot of people take annual leave through the holidays. That just, you know, of course, happened to go along with when the shutdown occurred. So that wasn't impacting us so much. Um, but it, today it really started to because today was the day my briefings were supposed to begin again with NASA. Just to, to back up a little bit, I normally give NASA a weather briefing at eight o'clock in the morning every single day. Um, I get on I'm a headset and it's a phone call with NASA. I'm basically talking to a lot of program managers. There are a lot of meteorologists on the call, but they're mainly um, 
program managers for uh, rocket operations. Um, and a lot of times NASA is partnering with commercial industries to get their payloads up into the air. So today was the first day where eight o'clock came and eight o'clock went and there was no briefing from me because all of NASA is furloughed. Uh, I guess I shouldn't say all of NASA. Most of NASA is furloughed. There are some specific um, accepted employees in NASA. I guess the ones that are guarding a lot of the important infrastructure of NASA. So this is really kind of a bummer because NASA, it's not so much just about the missions that NASA does, but NASA also has a lot of land that they manage and they also have um, a lot of commercial interests that they support to get into space. And them to miss, you know, their typical daily weather briefings is a problem because my job is to help mitigate any damage or any um, threats coming to their general area. You know, I give them a seven-day briefing and it's it's highly technical, but it's also um, not too technical if you compare it to an, a typical area forecast discussion issued by the National Weather Service versus just me talking to a lot of meteorologists that are generally trained, but they tend to be more on the research side instead of the operational side. So it is it is impacting possible outcomes as we head into the week, into next week, into next month. And today I was going to the normal scheduling briefing, which is every morning, or sorry, every Monday morning, where we just kind of go over the schedule for when the rocket launches are going to be occurring over the next uh, two months. And during that briefing, they mentioned that NASA is going to be on able to support any commercial missions during the federal government shutdown. And this is possibly going to impact a launch that was supposed to occur, occur at the end of February. So because of this federal shutdown, you know, unless it ends somewhat soon, we're directly impacting our space endeavors. This is extremely bad for science, especially in a time when we're supposed to be building up to possibly break off into the space force. So, you know, whether that's actually a thing or not, it remains to be seen, but there has certainly been a lot of talk about it. And the vice president visited um, NASA in December. So it seems like the federal shutdown is possibly impacting their goals, that this administration's goals um, to begin with. So it's, it's ironic in that way. But I just wanted to give you guys an idea of how it's impacting the space world. And it's unfortunate. Melody, do you really know about the uh, formation of the Space Force and you just aren't allowed to tell us right now? Because if you, if you do know about it, we could stop the recording <laughs> and you could tell me about it. Uh, but you don't have to say yes or no. <laughs> um, I I don't know completely, but, you know, it started as a joke and it's becoming more and more a serious topic to okay. the point where, like, you, you know, where you know where we re we've reached a point in society where we don't know where satire ends and and reality begins it's kind yes. of like that with the space force at this point in time like it it's possible that it could happen especially since uh, you know we we look into the history of the military and the air force split off from the army so that those divisions have happened before 
so even though Space Force absolutely started as possible as probably a joke and, you know, certainly generated a lot of hilarious internet memes, <laughs> but yeah. um, it, it seems like through the administration's actions um, that it may actually become a thing. And it's ironic. All right. Well, thank you so much, Crezia. It's been really interesting to hear about um, the perspective of someone working during the shutdown. And thank you for continuing to work. Um, I can't even imagine what that's like, though. Yeah, you're welcome. It's a, it's a weird feeling, but uh, thank you for letting me talk about it and, and talk to you about my, my project. And hopefully you'll be able to go to AMS next year. Oh, gosh, I hate saying that. I hate saying that because I know, I know. every year you've been trying to go. But one of these years, you're going to get there and it's going to be I'll awesome. make it. Well, I'll make it. One. <laughs> well, thank you guys for the invitation and for having me as part of your podcast. Of course. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. All right. Well, I guess that's it. I guess yeah. we can wrap it up. Yeah, thanks for listening. This is the first of two episodes on the government shutdown on uh, mostly weather topics and uh, federal workers in the National Weather Service. Uh, we will talk to someone from a library's perspective next time. And Looking uh, forward to that. Yeah, me too. Mainly because, to be honest, I, I don't know anything about um, government libraries that are federal libraries like that. So catch us online, theheatindexpodcast.com on Facebook, and also email us at theheatindexpodcast at gmail.com with your questions and comments. And maybe I'll get around to making a Twitter, a Heat Index Twitter. Yeah, we'll do, see. We, do we need a Twitter? I don't know. Uh, maybe. I mean, it might be easier to crowdsource um, questions, so we'll see. Yeah, I do like it. And I think it would be interesting because that is one key aspect of my Twitter usage is actually communicating with librarians. Um, it is a, a really big tool um, in the library world. So it would be interesting to enter that space. Yes, definitely. All right. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And we hope you listen to episode three, the second part of the federal shutdown. 